You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Socks in the Basement is brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Check out all they do at FamilyDry.com. Any issue you have in your basement, any water coming into your house, any issues trying to get the water to drain away from your house, foundation problems, give them a call 24-7-708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement and save money. Uh, I'm afraid, Ed, that I... Ruined Adam Engel because you were you were touting his yeah. supernatural baseball abilities right. when I suggested that if if you know push came to shove the Sox might look to a lefty bat instead of him going into a playoff roster. I feel like I ruined him, and and what's amazing is the baseball gods whoever whoever stepped in and ruined Adam Engel over the last couple of days. They knew the moment I recorded the show. Yes, because I recorded the show before going to Tuesday night's game. And I threw a little tag at the end of it when I knew the result before I posted it after I got back on Tuesday night. But all my praise for Adam Engel was before Tuesday night's game. That is the game where, for the first time I can ever remember, Adam Engel goes back to the wall and jumps up, and the ball lands two feet to the side of him in play. And he totally misplays a ball that you just expect Adam Engel to catch. It's not like it was an easy play, but... At that moment, I thought to myself, like, did I ruin Adam Angle? And I'm like, no, no, that's just an anomaly. And then the way that he plays on Thursday the and the defensive drive. miscues and the, the the mental block at the plate, I, I, now I'm, I'm really worried that I ruined him. I, I talked about how great he was, how he was like the best all-around player on the team if you look at the numbers since he's been back. And then it's just been brain fart after brain fart after brain fart this week for Adam Engel. Did I ruin him, Ed? Did I ruin it? Can I, do I even have the power to do such a thing? Well, you know, for those who have followed us and understand my fantasy baseball aversion to ever rostering a White Sox player because I ruined them and the emergence of Dylan Cease after I traded him to you. Yes, we absolutely, as fans, have the ability to ruin players on Major League Baseball rosters oh my God, by simply talking about them. I love I love that you were like, yeah, yeah, of course you ruined him. It's all your yeah, fault. Yeah, you did, 100%. You have, you have that much influence over what happens in the game. All you, Chris, you, you ruined it. You ruined Adam Angle. It is entirely on you. So please do not say anything nice about anybody that's important to the team going forward. No, I, I, I think... I'm watching Adam Engel this week, and and like you, I'm sitting there, and I agreed with you, I, I agreed with you in the show that I, I think Adam Engel is a much much better player than people give him credit for, and he's a really good all around major league outfielder. In fact, I said going into the trade deadline, I thought he was their most attractive trade chip amongst the forty man roster because one, I didn't expect Nick Madrigal to ever get traded, but two. His all-around game and his position on the team as basically the fourth outfielder still made him, you know, just this really valuable asset. And I just, I wonder if there's a little pressure on Engel, knowing that there's a roster crunch coming up, knowing that when Luis Robert comes back, that he is going to have to fight for time with whoever is left on the roster. 
when when you know they're back at full strength. And I wonder if he's trying to push to assert himself as, look, all things being equal, Tony, you want a starting outfield that has me in it, and then rotate these other guys around with Aloy and Lefton at DH, and just leave me alone in right field. Let us let let you know let Luis Robert and I take care of that side of the outfield, and and I will not lead you astray. And and I think players can put pressure on themselves that way, don't you? You know, I I I, I think that's probably more what it is. Now, I do think the the line drive thing, though, when I was watching, I agreed with Ozzie Guillen in the postgame show. That was an anomaly. That ball was just hit perfectly to the point where any center fielder would have been like, where the hell did it go? Because it hit right in the in the line of view with the fans and with the lights and everything, right where a guy's going to lose it. We're talking about, uh, I want to say it's Thursday night's game. Yeah, where, where he gets completely spun around. and you, yeah, I mean, You've never seen Adam Engel look like that on a ball. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Uh, a lot of things that you said made sense, but there is the possibility that I do influence what happens to Adam Angle in this universe. So for the sake of all White Sox fans, at this point, I will declare Adam Angle to suck. And I will tell everybody he's a terrible player and he'll be lucky if he makes it to the end of the season on this team. And by stating that, maybe... Maybe that will right the ship. Well, speaking speaking of that, then let's. There's other guys on the team struggling. Let's pick those guys out and have you trash talk them. Let's we? talk about Yuan Moncada. I'll trash talk him now. Okay, good. He looks disinterested <laughs> at the at the plate. I saw him on Tuesday night up there, and that was the word I used. Actually, I think I said unenthused. That was I actually said it out loud, sitting in my seat to my wife sitting next to me. I said, "This guy looks unenthused," and I I know that that probably isn't fair. And, and maybe I'll ask Scott Merkin about that in just a few moments here. He's going to be joining us to talk about what's going on in and around the team. Give us as much inside information as he possibly can. He covers the team for MLB.com. He's a good source. Uh, I, I, just, I just see a guy walking up there, and I'm not sure if I'm getting 100% effort or if he's so upset about how he's playing that now he's just kind of like, oh, do I just, can I just get done with this at bat and go back to the bench? Like, I just don't feel comfortable up there. I, I had a fan send me... A, uh, a stat, or actually like a series of stats. He broke this thing down. Uh, I, I hope I pronounce his name. His name is Jay Cutup, uh, and he's one of our listeners. He sent me something on Twitter that broke down by pitch in the count how Yuan Moncada's doing. And in this breakdown that he sent Sox in the basement, if he swings at the first pitch, if he sees one pitch in the at-bat, he's had 28 at-bats where he goes first pitch. He's hit one home run. He's got 12 hits out of those 28 at-bats, 9 RBI. He's hitting 429 with an 1107 OPS. If he sees less than or equal to three pitches in an at-bat, meaning he's swinging early in the count, he's had 168 at-bats with 61 hits, seven home runs, 36 RBIs, hitting 363 with a 996 OPS. When he gets past three pitches... Four or more pitches in the count. When he waits and works a count, 237 at-bats with only three home runs and 47 hits. So less hits than home runs, even though of many more at-bats. Only 20 RBIs, hitting 198 with a 667 OPS. Working the count this year for Yoan Moncada has been a big issue. Swinging early going after a pitch he likes early in the count has benefited him greatly. So the thing I ask you is, you got a new batting coach. It seems like this team tries to work counts. I don't know what Frank Mankino's 
philosophy is, but is Yohan waiting longer in account, trying to work account instead of just see pitch, hit pitch, you know, just play ball, jump on a pitcher early. Is that the big reason we're seeing such a drop off in him? And should he be swinging at earlier pitches? Well, I guess if you follow the stats and I, and I don't know, I don't know that I don't know that if Frank manichino has got a philosophy of working the count that he wouldn't sit there and just turn a guy loose too. I mean, I, you know, I, I got to figure a professional coaching staff is going to recognize when a guy should just be aggressive early on in the count. And, you know, if he's not seeing pitches that he likes, you don't necessarily want him to swing at garbage just for the purpose of like, oh gosh, this is pitch number three. I better put it in play. You know, I'm, I'm guessing that if you get a guy that's got you know, two and oh, he's going to try and get one over. And that's probably a pretty good pitch to take a rip at. So I would hope that they aren't doing something like that and saying, Hey, yo, yo, go up there and work the count. I don't care what you see or what the count is. You know, if you fall behind zero and two, you know, still try and work that walk, still try and make this guy work. Or if you're up two and oh, don't take a rip at a good, you know, fastball right down the middle that you're going to be able to crush somewhere. I'm thinking he's just somewhere in between there where he wants to work the count, where he wants to try and find a pitch and he's being too selective and he either gets it early on because the guy is in trouble and needs to get a pitch over or he's not getting it and he's trying to find that pitch. I wonder if he's just being too fine with it, you know, because sometimes go back to Frank Thomas. This was a knock on, on the big hurt, right? where he would jump out of the way of a fastball that was on the inside corner. And, and you know, that's where he got the big skirt moniker because people were like, what's he running away from? Dude's, you know, enormous. He could crush the ball. And when he was trying to work the count too much sometimes, people would get frustrated with him because you're like, just make contact, buddy. You're going to knock it over the fence more often than not if you if you just put the bat on the ball. So if he's being too fine, if he's being too particular, it may not be a philosophy of, trying to work the pitcher it may just be I like the ball where I like the ball and if I'm not seeing it I'm not seeing it and if I'm making the guy work to get it there and I still don't get it it's just not working out for me because at some point you just run out of pitches I'm gonna fix him right now Ed yeah Yohan Moncada sucks he's never gonna be any good Sox just get rid of him see I'll make that statement and he's gonna go on a tear now you know I get muscle aches all the time I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms. Right now at creakybone.com. Our guest today is brought to you by Evil Horse Brewing. They are at the other end, the far end of the Dixie Highway Brewery Trail, which starts as far north as Beverly. But they are totally worth the trip to Crete, Illinois. Winning medals for their beers since 2017, a master brewer out there, an incredible tap room. If you're a beer nut, 
This is a place to go and check out. Find them at 1338 Main Street in Crete, Illinois. Joining me on the phone line right now, he checks in every month or so and gives us an inside look at the White Sox. And who else would you rather talk to if you wanted to know what was going on right around the team? He's been covering them forever for MLB.com. Scott Merkin on the program. How are you, Merk? Good. I thought you were going to say, who else in the world would you rather talk to? And I'm like, there's probably a few more on the list, but you qualified <laughs> it by saying about the White Sox. About too, the White so. Sox. About the White Sox. You took a lot of abuse before the trade deadline, I felt like. Yeah, you know, it's it, first, it's it's Twitter, so you take that with a grain of salt. I'm not, I'm not, you know, downplaying Twitter. Twitter's great for for sharing the work you that you're proud of, that you've done. But yeah, I think people misunderstood what I was saying, and that I was saying no matter what they did, barring something short of, you know, unbelievably impressive, which I think Kimbrell would qualify in that category, but the biggest returns they were going to get around the trade deadline were Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. And I don't think you can argue that point just because Aloy Jimenez is a silver slugger winner who, when he's healthy, is a 40 home run power guy. Luis Robert, if he's not the best athlete in the American League, he's one of the best athletes in the American League in terms of all-around talent. And, you know, before he got hurt, he was really starting to kind of, I don't want to say figure baseball because he's so talented that he doesn't really need to completely figure it out. But, you know, the game seemed to be coming to him uh, a lot smoother than when he had that one slump, which was, you know, expected as a rookie last year. I think it was, what, uh, September, right, where he really struggled with the team in 2020. You know what? Here's the thing. I think you get grouped in and it might be unfair because you've you've explained it on this show that you don't work for the White Sox. You work for MLB.com. You work for Major League Baseball, but I think you get grouped in unfairly with other other folks that are perceived to carry water for the organization. So I think that the I felt like reading it, and I, I kind of wanted to jump to your defense, but I was like, they're just going to yell at me too. So I'm sorry, Mark, <laughs> you're on your own. Yeah, thanks for, thanks, thanks for taking the easy road out on that one. I think people thought you were trying to prepare them for something that you were already hearing, like they weren't going to do anything. You got falsely kind of uh, you know, pigeonholed into the idea that, well, Merck is just speaking for the organization before they actually don't do anything. You know, I've known Kenny for 20 years. I've known Rick for a long time. I talked to them, you know, aside from baseball and that kind of thing and just shoot the breeze with them. I can guarantee you there has never been a time where they sat down in a meeting, discussed trades or free agencies or roster moves or promotion of young players and said, Hey, let's call Scott Merkin and get him in on this call too, so he knows what's going on. I can guarantee you, not a single solitary time has that happened. So, so here's a question for you: Is Zebby Savala stealing Zach Collins's position in the catching hierarchy? It seems like Tony's been playing him an awful lot more than Collins, and you know neither one of them are superstars at the plate. But it, it, it there's a lot of metrics out there that show that Zavala might actually be worth more than Collins even in his short stint in the majors. And people are looking at the amount of times. I mean, over the last six games, uh, two-thirds of them, Zavala's been the catcher. Are you getting a feeling covering the team that that Tony likes him a lot and that when Grandal comes back, Collins might be headed back to AAA? Well, I think you can't really argue with what Zach has done this year. You know, just as an example, Zach was behind the plate for Carlos Rodon's no-hitter. I believe he was behind the plate for the game he threw in Detroit when he allowed the the one hit to Jared Haas and the, you know, taking a no-hitter into the seventh inning. So, I you know, I think he does a great job, you know, calling games. And I think, you know, almost always in September, even with the reduced call-ups now, the greatly reduced call-ups you have for September, you'll you'll probably see a third catcher. So I think, you know, unless Yasmani Grandal comes back before September 1st, 
I think you'll see all of them on the roster through the remainder of the year, most likely at least. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, do they take three catchers for the playoffs? Do they take two catchers for the playoffs? And who is the second one then? You know, I, it, it's too hard to say right now. You know, Tony really does follow the philosophy of going day to day. You know, he has very set mantras. You know, he likes the, these are men, not machines, obviously. I Last night I asked him about, you know, Andrew Vaughn seeming comfortable at the plate now. And, and, and he said, we don't use that word in the clubhouse, you know, confident. I'll give you, he said, but we don't, we don't, you know, tolerate comfort or whatever. So, you know, and, and the other thing is just go day by day. You know, he has this joke that that's ongoing where you say to him before the game and he actually gets a little like humorously miffed where you say, how's it going? And he's like, come on, man. Yeah. yeah I'll let you know if we don't pitch the, you know, we don't hit in the bottom of the ninth inning basically at home. And it, it's all today for him. So I don't, I, well, you know, I'm sure him and Kenny and Rick, and the coaching staff and everyone else in the front office are certainly discussing playoff rosters right now. I mean, they're nine and a half games up with, you know, I don't think another team in the division above 500, right? So, you know, they're, they're certainly discussing the permutations, but I think they'll let it play out a little bit. They probably have certain things in their mind, but I think they'll let it play out a little bit to see, you know, who jumps up kind of in these, in these final weeks to earn the, the, the few spots that are in question going into the postseason. You know, I know Aloy Jimenez is going to take a little time to get his timing back, and it's kind of funny. His his only hit so far at the time that we're talking is when he's playing in the outfield. And that, right. That makes me concerned that we're going to have to play him in the field to keep his head in the game, but whatever you got to do, I guess. But the guy I'm most concerned about is Yohan Mancada. I went to the game on Tuesday night, and I watched him in person. It, it, he's, like, almost flailing at the plate. There were several half swings in his at-bats where it didn't seem like he – was was on. Is he hurt? Is there something going on? Is, is there any concern around the team that you're hearing about Yuan? Because I, I expected 2019 Yuan to come back, and this isn't it. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be. I mean, I, I think everyone at this point is, I don't want to say, what's it, I guess not injured, but hurt a little bit because you played over 100 games after playing 60 games all last year. You know, and I, I think, you know, Yuan is not going to be a guy, I, is, from what I've seen, he's not like a, a fist pumper or a guy who just is, you know, outwardly showing excitement all the time. He's a little more low-key. Mark, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard because the guy walks up with his own song that he sings. <laughs> so he's not that low-key. <laughs> See, he's, he's chill, though. He's like, here's my song, here I am, there you go. Hey, if I had my own song, I'd walk into the press box with that right now, you know? So I, I, I don't blame that. But he's immensely talented and just not having a good run right now, you know, offensively. But I think he'll be fine overall and... You know, both him and Abreu and Jimenez, and then when Robert comes back, whatever that is in the very, very near future, you know, sometime in the week, those are guys you, you're going to need in the postseason. I, I would say Grandal too, but Grandal was already getting it going before he got hurt. So, you know, hopefully he went for the Sox. When he comes back, he can pick up where he kind of left off after, you know, adjusting from the downtime being injured. But, you know, you need all these guys. And they've all had their moments, and they've all had – well, I mean, Jimenez hasn't played, but I mean, even Jimenez had a moment, right, in Kansas City. So, you know, they've all had their times, and they just, they're, they're going to need them all to make any kind of, to stay around. Pitching is the most important, and that's why you saw them add Kimbrough to kind of form, you know, kind of a Super Bowl pen. But you need, you know, you need the key guys. I mean, take a look at last year. Do we think that if Aloy Jimenez doesn't have that knee issue last year in the postseason, do they at least get by Oakland in that first round? And that's not taking anything away from Oakland. Or is it more about, you know, if Garrett Crochet doesn't have the the forearm, whatever was this diagnosed, that forearm tightness, I guess, which caused him to leave early from game three, do they win that one then? You know, you, you just don't know. But 
you're going to need all these guys to get to where they want to get to in 2021, ultimately. Scott Merkin from MLB.com. Before I let you go, Scott, I do want to touch on the somebody that you brought up twice in this interview, and that's Craig Kimbrell. Um, and, and the fact that now we have two incredibly talented, top-of-their-game closers in Liam Hendricks and Craig Kimbrell. And I got to ask you this. If the chips are down late in the game, is Liam still the closer, or is this on Tony's feeling? What, what's the feeling you're getting from those two pitchers and Tony and how he's going to use them? Well, they've all been, you know, right in line with whatever it takes to win. You know, Liam Hendricks said, there's no egos in here. We just want to win a title. I will say the couple times that they were both going to be used, if I'm remembering right, Kimbrell was warmed up in the eighth or using the eighth, and Hendricks came in in the ninth. I, the, the main thing that Tony LaRusso said, he even joked and said there'll be no quarterback controversy. He said there's going to be no closer controversy. And the main thing is that on each given day that they're going to be used, they will know what the role is. You know, they're going to know going in who is going to be closing out if it's that situation on that day. And there may be times where, let's say, Kimbrough isn't used for a couple of days, but Hendricks is. So then Kimbrough is the closer for a couple of days or vice versa. And you have plenty of other, you know, options down there. Kopech has been scored upon the last couple of times, but he's been unreal this year. Aaron Bummer is really hitting stride again. And he's one of the better, you know, setup men in the game. You have Tapera, you know, I'm leaving out guys down there, but I mean, there, there, there's a lot of Ronaldo Lopez has looked great since moving over into the bullpen role. He has, he's been a real surprise. Yeah. He's been outstanding. I mean, probably went from, a call up to see what we have to maybe even getting a thought about, you know, maybe, you know, being important moving forward into October. But I think it's a great problem to have. And, you know, the biggest thing is Tony's running the show and Tony said he's going to make it clear to both those guys on each given day what their role is going to be. And that's the most important part. All right, Scott Merkin, MLB.com. Always nice enough to jump on socks in the basement. I really appreciate it. Try not to get into too many Twitter battles out there. Okay, my friend. I'll try not to. That's my goal every day. Building relationships, supporting the community, and service. These are the things that Country Financial stands for. They're neighbors who lend a helping hand and support the fabric of your community, including charitable organizations, sports, financial education, and civic organizations. And since Country is already your neighbor, they want to get together and chat. Call your local Country Financial representative, Mike Thauer, today at 708 425 1559 to talk about the things that are important to you and how he can help you protect them. I want to tell you about my experience at the last ball game that I went to on Tuesday night. And I didn't run into the crazy lines. I still don't get this. I've been reading more and more about it, that these weekend lines where it's hard to get into the ballpark when they're sold out. And the fact that you don't see enough vendors and there's like, there's bigger lines to get anything because there's a lack of vendors is because there's some sort of an agreement between the team and the city of Chicago. And, and if this agreement is you can have a completely full stadium, but you can't have all your vendors. Cause that spreads COVID. You just gave me a headache. <laughs> like, I, like I don't understand what the agreement is. I don't get what the city told them, but if that's what it is, a massive migraine. I because every time I say things like that out loud, it hurts my brain because that makes absolutely no sense. Now, I went on Tuesday. They don't have a big staff, and I'm up on the 300 level, and I'm down the uh, the the third base line, and I notice that they may have one or two ushers tops covering the entirety of the 300 level, at least that I can see. Maybe they have a couple more, but just down that line, that's all they have from from home plate. 
all the way down to the foul pole in the 300 level. And they have this this girl that I've never seen up there. Now, you know, we've we've had season tickets as a family in different spots of the ballpark, but we've been on the 300 level now for a little while, and I've never seen her before. And I want to tell you a little bit about my experience. It, it, because it was it was it was mind-boggling. This this is the kind of experience that if any fan had this at the ballpark, they would sit there and say to themselves like what the heck is going on? They would be they'd be in shock. <laughs> As the as the experience the experience that I had, they would be in shock. So to get on the three hundred level, you have to show your ticket again. It's one of those. It's a club level, basically. You you have to show your ticket to walk inside. This isn't the upper deck. This isn't the lower deck. That's that little strip that's in between the sky boxes. So you have to show your ticket to walk onto that concourse, which is enclosed, carpeted. There's couches. There's flat screen TVs. Uh, the food selection's terrible this year. Uh, COVID's being used as an excuse. They didn't lower the price, but they're basically like hot dogs. That's all they have up there. It's absolutely brutal. I don't know what you're paying for up there because the experience isn't what it normally is. But you go on there to get on that level. You have to show a ticket. So now you are a 300 level patron. It's been confirmed. We go down to our seats and sit down in a section on a Tuesday night in which of the, I think it's like six rows that there are in that level. Three of them have people in it. It's a basically empty section because it's Tuesday. There's all kinds of empty seats all around. And I sit down in my seat with my wife and the usher runs to me, not walks, not meanders, not, you know, eventually gets over there, runs two sections over to me. Like sprints over? And demands that I produce my ticket to prove that I'm supposed to be there. And I looked at her and I'm like, I'm a, I'm a 300 level customer. Of, of course, these are my seats. Why would I pick these seats? way down the line when I could go way down there if I want to just pick another seat. And what does it matter? There's nobody here. But I pull out my phone because I'm not going to have an argument. Sure. And and the phone is not loading the ticket, of course, because there's terrible signal and I haven't connected to the Wi-Fi and I'm not doing her any favors at this point. This makes no sense to me. So eventually she gives up and mutters and walks away because my tickets won't load and I'm not moving. Well, there's no reason for you to move. You're already established. You should be there. I'm supposed to be on this level. It doesn't make any sense. Then I think maybe maybe I'm just intense, waiting for the game, looking forward to seeing my boy Adam Engel out there, who I've just pronounced as being such a great player and now jinxed, it seems like. And as I watch the game, my wife keeps pointing it out because she's noticing it. This usher throughout the game is checking tickets and making sure people are on the right seat. She made two people that had put a seat in between them because nobody else was in the row. She ordered the guy to get out of like seat 13 and move the seat 14 next to his friend in seat 15 because he has to leave that seat open. And I was like, in what weird world is this happening? I've never seen this in my entire life in the ballpark ever, ever. I've never seen something like this. She got mad at a guy who was sitting in the 300 level and had 300 level tickets and in the sixth inning walked down to say hello to friends for an inning. And luckily, he wasn't. He at least looked at her and said, I'm not moving. I came down here. They got nothing but seats, and I want to see my friends. I found out they were sitting here. There's all kinds of empty seats. It was like, I don't know if it's like her first week on the job. Somebody's got to grab her and explain to her basic ballpark etiquette with your fan base. But the craziest thing was the end of the game. You know, like, like the game ends, and there's fireworks. They've won. You're applauding. The moment the last firework exploded, she yelled to the crowd, 
Drink your beer as you leave. Game's over. Everybody up. What? The last firework is popped. The players are still jumping around on the field. And she starts yelling at the sections around her to get up and leave. What? Yeah, I know. This is crazy, right? Like, I feel like I, I stepped into the Twilight Zone. No, you stepped into a kindergarten classroom. That's like... Crazy, right? You know, yeah. I, I mean, Even bouncers at bars are, you know... You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Ha, ha, ha. You know, everybody can, uh, you know, start moving it out and things like that. I mean, you know, of course they want you to get up and move out in an orderly fashion, but game's over. Chug, go. You know, what? What? I'm standing there and I'm watching. You know, they put stuff up on the scoreboard for the fans to see immediately following the game. They're oh, showing, yeah. You know, there's a, they don't, the, the, the team itself and the stadium itself is encouraging you to take it all in at the end. That was not allowed here with this usher. And so she comes over and she told me I had to leave. And I was like, I'm not leaving. Like, I just, I just looked at her. I'm like, I'm, I'm not leaving. And she's like, what? I'm like, I've been coming here now for decades. And you are taking your job way too seriously. Go ask advice of another usher. You could tell him I just told you I'm not leaving. I'm going to finish my beer. It's going to take three, four minutes. I'm going to breathe in this victory. And then I'm going to walk at my leisure out of the ballpark. I'm not leaving. Now, on top of all of this insanity inside the ballpark, the Office of Emergency Management for the city of Chicago runs traffic. Whoever is making the plan right now to empty the ballpark needs to have a serious reconsideration of their plan because all of the lots that are to the north of the stadium, all the red lots, okay, were all being forced on Tuesday night down 33rd Street across the Dan Ryan and northbound. There was no southbound option, and there was no option to go into the neighborhood if you lived there or you lived in the area or you lived directly west. You were forced onto the Dan Ryan into the circle of downtown. The only option you had was to drive over to State Street and take a long drive through a rough neighborhood to find your way back to the Dan Ryan. Whoever came up with that plan, somebody above that person needs to say, this isn't how we do it here. I've never seen that before. They blocked off every road. They blocked off Lafayette. They would not let anybody go southbound on the Dan Ryan if you were parked on that side of the stadium. I've never seen that in all my years of going to White Sox games. So there's a lot of problems going on right now around that ballpark that somebody needs to step in and say, hey, whoa, we're going to get bigger crowds. We need to do a better job. There is absolutely no difference now in 2021 for traffic management than there was in 2019 or 2018 or 2005 or 1980 or, I mean, yeah, I guess you can go back even further and say maybe in 1959 things were slightly different, you know, or 1908. Yeah, it's a different story. But there's not, what, what difference does it make? having people go southbound on the Dan Ryan or having parking lots empty out the way that they used to empty out. And if you're telling me that there's not enough people to manage that, I, I kind of have to take issue with that because you could still, I mean, you could still have one person in an orderly fashion determine somebody taking a right or taking a left, quite frankly. And I, I watched it this morning with a construction crew, one person managing an entire intersection. It, it didn't take that many people. Ed, I'm at the point right now in my life that if you're not going to give me the experience I'm paying for, I'm less likely to pay for it. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the God's honest truth. Like, my family wants to go to Disney. 
But because of some of the restrictions that are still going on down there, I'm like, why would I go until I'm, it's not like Disney lowered the prices. So why am I interested if, if I'm not going to get the full experience? That's kind of where I'm at right now. I shouldn't be forced to be like, well, you have to. You still have to spend the money even though you're not getting the full experience because, you know, pandemic. No, I could choose to wait until all this stuff dies down and I get the full experience for the for the money or you lower the prices to make up for the fact you can't provide the experience. Right. And and I know I know that some people say that's that's impossible. But that, that's that's how I'm a consumer. I'm a consumer in a in a free capitalist society for at least now. And so like like that's that's how I see things. And so yeah, I don't know when I'm going to make a decision, like who knows. But I'm sure it's indep- I'm sure that this has impacted the amount of games I've gone to. I'm sure it will impact the games down the line. Well, and that's that's the key, isn't it? it it's going to it's going to keep you from going, right? Right. Well, well, my my wife says let's go with the kids. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, I don't know if I'd go on a weekend. Kids are hard enough to deal with except especially when you can't get them a hot dog. I can see your point. If I'm going to pay for to go to the game, and I'm going to miss three innings standing in line to get my kids a hot dog. Right. Uh, and I do have younger kids, and, and it would be very hard for me to take my nine-year-old and my four-year-old to a White Sox game with those crowds, with the lines and everything, because they are not going to be patient, uh, you know, as patient as I would be in that scenario if it were just me, or as patient as, you know, somebody who's got kids that are older like yours, you know, where, where you've got a teenager, a couple teenagers. It, so we're going to be, as fans, I think, well within our rights to sit here and say, I'm going to have to think long and hard about how many times I go. Not whether or not I go to a game, but how many times I go and how often I try and put myself through this. If there's any kind of statement coming out of the White Sox organization that Fans just didn't seem to want to support us at the end. I think in one giant rousing fandom voice, we could turn around and say, that's on you, not on the players. You didn't want to support the fans by providing the ballpark experience that you could have provided or or making some sort of concession to say, hey, we can't give you the full, we can't give you what you're paying for. So we're going to do this or we're going to do that. I love the team. I'm watching the team almost every night. You know, but I mean, I guarantee that like if I if I go to if I go to 15, 20 games, it could have been 30 if I felt like I was getting the full experience for the bang for my buck. There will be something that will curb it and thus takes money away. Look, I'm going to fix all this right now. The traffic sucks. They'll never fix it. The White Sox don't know what they're doing. They'll never fix the ballpark experience. And and there's absolutely no way anything will ever get better. Your problem solved. It'll all be fixed in 48 hours, folks. Hey, can you do something about, like, uh, getting me some weight loss if that magic actually works? And you're fat. You'll never lose any weight. Woohoo! Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.